Saha, the author of The Digital Choices, and you're listening to the InsurTech Story podcast, the platform to spread knowledge on insurance innovation, digital disruption, and entrepreneurship. Our website, insurtechstory.com, and we are available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Welcome to today's show, where we will discuss on the topic, the promise and perils of InsurTech. And for now, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Steve Tunstall, who is the CEO and co-founder of Inzior. Inzior is your digital partner throughout the entire insurance cycle from procurement to claims and renewals. So don't forget to check out Inzior.com to learn more. At Inzior, Steve is responsible for managing all aspects of the business, including strategy, finance, sales, and marketing. Prior to Inzior, Steve has 30 years of experience and has managed five companies in four countries, including two previous startups. Based in Asia for most of his career, with experience in dozens of countries globally, Steve brings a broad-based approach to the management of both risk and opportunities. To name some, his previous roles include Head of Compliance, Insurance, Legal and Risk at Cathay Pacific and Risk Advisor to the rest of the Sawyer Group. Vice President of Risk for Genting Singapore and Resorts World Sentosa, and he was also the Managing Director for Jardine Pacific Schindler Lifts Singapore. Steve also holds the following positions, which are General Secretary at the Pan-Asian Risk and Insurance Management Association and Asia Ambassador at the International Insurance Society. So, Steve, welcome on board, and I'm truly excited to have you for the show. Hey, Surya, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You're welcome. Um, I would like to start by mentioning to all our listeners that the insurance sector, in riding the wave of the fintech phenomenon, has been rapidly expanding, with a slew of firms having emerged to provide insurtech services. Now, these services incorporate concepts such as blockchain, artificial intelligence, digitalization, and the sharing economy to various aspects of the insurance industry. Now, this profusion of technology brings with it the promise of various benefits, as we know, in increasing efficiency, lowering cost for not only just the insurance companies and the intermediaries, but also for businesses or consumers as end users of insurance. However, if we would like to dive a bit deeper, the development of insurtech comes with corresponding risk and regulatory concerns not currently accounted for by the traditional regulatory model. So with this, let me move on to a discussion agenda, which is, InsurTech has been a growing force around the world and as evidenced by increasing InsurTech investments that's coming in from 2011 until quarter two of 2021. So Steve, how do you see this moving forward? Will there be more inclination towards mergers and acquisitions or do you see a massive sum of venture capital still flowing into multiple new startups looking to tackle different niche in the vast insurance sector? Well, it's a, it's a big question and there's a lot of ground to cover. So it's probably worth just stepping back a little bit first. Yes, um, sure. Firstly, the, you know, the reality is, is that in, 
InsureTech is really just a buzzword, and the buzzword in this case means more right. technology and insurance. And right. it's sort of, you know, there's always been a uh, a strong vein of technology involved in insurance for for many years. So what we're seeing though is a is an acceleration of that, um, and it's not it's by no means overdue. In fact, when you when you look at the customer experience and whether this is as individuals and people or whether it's companies, their experience over over time has been that the insurance industry has been one of the slowest to change. Um, it's been one of the least responsive to customer needs. Um, and and for an industry that's based entirely on trust, that's pretty frustrating and pretty problematic because it means that customers are not getting the service they want from that industry. Uh, and to a greater or lesser extent for quite a few years, the, the insurance industry as a whole has been really a laggard compared to most of the sectors um, and particularly to, to the other sectors in the financial services area. So, so while we've seen fintech um, quite radically changing uh, large parts of financial services, uh, in particular, we can all think of things we've seen in banking and uh, money transfers, and we can see the implications of cryptocurrencies and central bank digital currencies completely transforming the way we think of money and how we deal with money. It, it has to be said that the changes in the insurance sector as a whole are pretty well far behind that. So, so with that in mind, yes, um, to your point, Yes, there is money coming into new startups that are trying to change the old businesses. And that's probably a good thing. It's bringing them pretty well a little bit more up to date. I won't say totally up to date. It's still a, a, a pedestrian style industry overall. But there are examples now of um, very good tech practice starting to creep into the insurance sector as a whole. Um, and that's uh, in many cases exhibited by the performance of insurtechs and how they're transforming the insurance industry. Uh, but also some of the traditional insurance players are also starting to finally up their game um, to try and stay more competitive with those insurtechs. In terms of whether that's going to be driven by M&As or takeovers or fresh money coming into the sector, I think it's inevitable that there will be more investment money coming into InsureTech, but but it's a really patchy story in terms of how that investment is deployed. Um, most VCs, uh, I have to be brutally honest here, I find most VCs are, are so um, carnivorous. They're not really that interested in um, in the greater good of the insurance industry. They're more interested in how can they get their 20 times exit in two years, irrespective of what the company is doing? Um, so that money can be uh, fairly ruthless in the way that it's applied. And, and most VCs I see in Asia are, are particularly interested in how they can uh, jump on the bandwagon of a, a company that's already around uh, C or D. And they're much less interested in small companies that are, that are really trying to change the industry for for everybody's benefit. Um, 
I think the the other issue is that a lot of the big insurance companies are still pretty slow. They're pretty behind the curve when it comes to technology. And again, from an Asian perspective, because that's where I'm based, that's because mostly the demand is still increasing. So, so year on year, the insurance sector is growing. Uh, across Asia, we see uh, insurance penetration rates improving. Um, so that means that even the companies are, are laggards when it comes to technology adoption, they can still they can still get some marginal improvements in uh, in, in either their bottom line and or their profitability. Um, now, having said that, we've we've seen over um, the last few years uh, a real hardening of the market, particularly in um, in commercial lines areas, and there's been a lot of pressure on insurers' bottom lines. So, so I think there will be more M and A's coming. I think insurance companies will continue to buy each other, uh, and notwithstanding the collapse of the Aon Willis Towers Watson deal, I think brokers will keep buying each other. Uh, and that's a sort of reflection that their CEOs, uh, yeah, quite frankly, don't have a lot more creative things to do. So they're struggling to, to, to have the same level of creativity as InsurTechs. And that's good for InsurTechs too, because it means that the InsurTechs are, are potential targets for M&As as well. So, so I think all in all, the, the, the sector is changing, it is growing, um, but there's a huge amount of room for improvement still. There's a huge amount of opportunity out there. There's a huge number of unserviced and, and to be brutal, uneducated customers who could benefit from good insurance. Um, so the industry has got a long way to go. You mentioned a few specific technologies around AI and things like that. I, I would say at this stage on blockchain, at this stage, I think the impact of those technologies on the insurance industry is almost non-existent. Um, so there's a long way to go yet before uh, we get the same significant improvements that we've seen in some other sectors. No, absolutely, Steve. Um, you know, you mentioned very rightly that how the ecosystem for InsurTech is it's indeed, you know, a, a patchy scenario there. And it, it's kind of a, uh, you know, in a very layman words, if I have to say, it's kind of a messed up out there. So how incumbents are actually, you know, would right, like to compete with the technique technically savvy startups and the best way is is either partnership or just take over and how investors are actually you know being less motivated towards uh, you know something you know innovating bringing something innovative for the uh, to solve a niche problem in this insurance industry rather on how they can multiply their some invested as quickly as possible i think Overall, of course, as you rightly covered, it's it's indeed uh, interesting, of course, but has to be more fruitful how things are being structured and managed. Um, you know, um, just moving on to our next discussion point, um, in, in insurtechs are increasingly looking to find applications throughout the life cycle of an insurance product, like from product development to underwriting and distribution administration claims processing kyc and so on and so forth so with this how do you see technology getting leveraged to benefit insurers as well as customers in each of these phases of the life cycle 
Well, there's there's some fundamental issues that have not changed. Um, when a customer wakes up in the morning, and it doesn't really matter whether that customer is a, a personal customer and they're buying insurance for their car or their house, or, or they're a business customer and they're buying insurance for their property or some other aspect of their business, maybe liability insurance or whatever it is. But the reality is, is nobody as a customer of the insurance sector wakes up in the morning and goes, yay, I'm going to buy insurance today. What a wonderful day. Um, <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, Absolutely. Nobody, yeah. nobody has. I, the, I, I just think it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's no with, with buying insurance. There's no new car smell. You don't get that sense of satisfaction. You don't get any instant gratification at all. So, okay. so there's a long-held expression in the insurance industry that insurance has to be sold. It, it cannot be just bought alone. And traditionally, of course, as, as you're well aware and your audience are well aware, that means that human beings have to go out there pounding the streets to sell insurance. Um, so that means that you know insurance is one of the last bastions of the intermediary being a human being, whether that's a, an agent, whether it's a broker, whether it's an MGA, whatever the whatever the process is, it tends to be um, very much with uh, humans involved in the process. Now, part of the issue with that is that that's not very cost effective. It's certainly not very cost effective for very small policies. And that's why we have a situation where, for example, in Malaysia, the last time I heard the data from the governor of Bandagar, Malaysia, she was saying something like 97% of all companies buy no insurance. Um, and that's amazing. It's a huge gap. It's a huge protection gap. That's not good for the customers. That's not good for small businesses. I mean, a lot of these tiny businesses at the bottom of the heap yeah, they're, they're basically just small family-run businesses, mom-and-pop shops, mom-and-pop restaurants. And and those are the ones that, those are the guys who really need insurance because if they have a fire and they lose their inventory or they lose their stall or whatever it is, then it's not only their business that goes under, but their livelihood goes under and their family can't feed themselves anymore. So, so there's huge benefits here of insurance where, yeah, quite frankly, the insurance industry hasn't really grasped the the metal of teaching and educating those people who are potential customers about the true benefits of insurance. So there's a big gap there on that side of things. Uh, and that's something that I think technology can help with. Uh, people are now much more familiar. I mean, wherever you're going Asia, and I'll keep referring to Asia because that's what I'm most familiar with because I've lived here so long. Um, right. Wherever you go in Asia, basically everybody's got a smartphone these days. Everybody trusts their smartphone. They trust the technology. And in many cases and many things we do in our lives now, we actually trust that little device in our pockets much more than we, than we trust traditional intermediaries. So I've got no reason to believe the insurance won't go the same way. And over time we'll begin to trust what's going on on our devices much more than we'll trust the intermediaries. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that uh, for that for that customer touch point side of things, we're seeing a lot more 
different sectors, particularly the tech sector, getting very interested in financial services as an adjunct to their basic um, offerings. Um, the classic examples here in Southeast Asia are the super apps. So you've got Grab and Gojek over here, both of which started as a sort of pseudo copy of Uber, but both of which now grow like Topsy. You can now get all sorts of things ordered and delivered via your super app. Um, and most recently, they both turned to financial services. So they're both looking actively at loans and banking. In fact, Grab's been appointed as uh, one of the digital banking licenses here in Singapore. Um, and both of them are starting to offer insurance services through their apps. Uh, and of course, the big advantage they have over, over an agent pounding the street is that people are using the Grab app, for example, every single day to book cars. So it's quite easy for them to then buy their insurance or whatever other service um, through the app. So we can see examples how the intermediary process will definitely move more towards technology and less from people. Uh, but that's, that's, I would say, we're very much at the start of that curve in Asia. Um, it's got a long way to go. And then if you look at the insurers themselves, because they've basically for the last 200 years built their business model um, on having someone between them and the customer, by and large, they don't really know what the customer needs. They certainly don't know what they want or what their desires are because they don't have enough data points to get that information. Um, and that means a number of different things. It means they're quite dependent on the feedback that comes to them from the intermediaries. And if that messaging is uh, misleading or confused, then there's not much incentive for the insurers themselves to change what they're doing. At the same time, the basic underwriting processes, it's unfair to say they're not getting more sophisticated. They're getting more sophisticated all the time. But in many companies, from what I've seen, they still remain fairly closed internal systems. So the functionality is an internal system a closed system rather than an open system. It doesn't take a huge amount of data in from the outside. It sort of functions within, not, I wouldn't say it functions within a vacuum, but it, it sometimes feels like that. So underwriting is very much more driven by the data around claims rather than what customers might prefer or need in the future. And then the claims process is even more antiquated in most insurance companies. So again, it's a it's an internal process rather than an external process. Um, and because you know the overwhelming majority of uh, insurance products remain as indemnity products, again, it's often dependent on third parties to uh, to deliver the customer touch points for better or worse. And as and as we all know, sometimes the the loss adjustment process can be very painful for customers. So you've got these, these built-in parameters that mean that it's actually quite hard for the insurance industry to change because there's, there's different roles and different areas and there's a, there's a, there's a lot of issues there that, that have got to be tackled before the, the industry as a whole can, can move in a new direction. Um, does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Um... You know, the insurance industry is, of course, you know, it's very conservative 
and very complex. And it consists of potential prejudice and discriminations, particularly when they're, you know, when they collect and apply data. And we see this increasingly in the Southeast Asia market because consumers are less aware of products, less aware of what insurance as a whole can do for them, be it in the non-life or the life insurance part, or even health and benefit. And also the overall perception differs a lot uh, uh, against insurance as it has been perceived um, in the other side of the world. So, you know, for an example, the question of whether it would be fair for an insurer to use personal data from social media or any social networks to evaluate a customer's risk profile does not admit of any easy answers and such prejudice may manifest as high insurance cost and such things are actually you know making consumers little uh, averse towards uh, insurance uh, products and services so how do you see insurtech tackling such scenarios because when we see technology as an advantage of how millennials are getting attracted to every financial services products and services yeah, I mean, it's a very complex area. I mean, again, stepping back at, at the end of the day, an insurance product is essentially a bet. So the, the, the underwriter is betting on the person that they sell that product to. Um, and therefore, there's always been a strong element of differentiation between good bets and bad bets. Who are the good risks and who are the bad risks? Um, and I think that's not going to go away at all because at the end of the day, these guys are running businesses and, and they're, driven, they're driven by their bottom line and their demands of their shareholders. So, so if you are a 45-year-old man and you want to buy insurance for your Toyota Corolla, you're not going to pay the same price for your insurance as a 17-year-old who, who wants to buy insurance for his Ferrari. Um, it's just not going to happen. You're going to get a, a massive weighting of scale that has got nothing to do with the value of the car, but has got everything to do with whether the underwriter believes you're a good risk or not. So, so that's not going to change. I think what's particularly difficult in um, Asia that, that is less difficult in other parts of the world, perhaps, is number one, there has been a long-term regulatory expectation in many parts of the world, but I'm thinking particularly here, North America and Europe um, and Japan, that the, that the insurance industry will play fair. Um, so, that, so the parameters are set in such a way that those that the outliers who who abuse their position as as uh, insurers get regulated pretty quickly. Now, what that does is that gives confidence to the consumer that when they buy insurance, there's much less chance of funny business going on. Um, I think we've seen across Asia uh, because insurance penetration rates have traditionally been much lower in Asia. They are going up. They are expanding rapidly. This is the fastest growing market in the world. Let's let's be clear about that. But the issue is that perhaps some of the regulators 
haven't been as rigorous in the past as they should have been or could have been. Uh, perhaps some of the tariff systems we've seen across the region uh, have been a little bit counterproductive. So, so when, when there's a fixed rate for a product, it means everybody gets the same. There's no reason to compete. So the insurer just produces the lowest cost product they can um, to deliver on that. But also, even where regulation has been a bit more sophisticated across the region, we've seen the um, application of uh, legal issues and, and, and uh, when there's problems with those policies, that they haven't they haven't always been um, resolved in favour of the customer, and the customers have often been left out of pocket, and that then feels uh, a lot of people feel there's a there's a breakdown of trust. So, so I think that's why we have um, a sense of uh, uh, well, just less trust generally across is, is the, across Asia is perhaps the best way to say it. Now, then if we if we layer on top of that the technological advances that we're seeing um, coming to the market, then I think I think there's quite a lot to get excited about, but there's also quite a lot to worry about um, as we as we develop some of these products. Um, and let's give a simple example. So in a <clears throat> in a let's say a well-regulated country, it will be difficult. For someone to abuse the system. However, in a less well-regulated jurisdiction, I can imagine a scenario, uh, and I'm just imagining this and brainstorming this, let's say in three to five to ten years' time, somebody buys a health insurance policy or a life policy, um, and the insurer has um, complete an open access to uh, that person's data. Uh, and you mentioned social media data, but there's much more significant data than that. I mean, what about health data? Um, what about data around the, the person's life expectancy and health records? So I, I would envisage a very, very sad situation perhaps where the, you know, an individual um, starts to feel unwell, goes to their doctor, gets a few checkups, not quite sure what it is, waiting for the result, and they get a message from their insurer that their policy's been cancelled. Um, and when they go back to the doctor, they find out they've got cancer or something like that. And it turns out that the uh, algorithms that are used by the insurance company have actually been able to predict that that person has got a, uh, a high potential mortality rate and therefore is no longer eligible, eligible to be a customer under the policy. Um, so I can, see, I can see moral dilemmas like that coming up in the future that unless, unless we start to think now about the uh, regulatory aspects of those things and the potential impact on customers, then, then I could see quite a lot of room for abuse in the future. And as I say, it's not just social media. I think there's a there's a whole raft of data points out there now about all of us in our lives. Um, we we don't know how that information might be used against us in the future. I think that's something um, we all have to think about. Not only not only from an industry perspective, but from a a general societal uh, moral dilemma perspective, so to speak. 
that, that's that's like you know you have just hit the right nail there um trust is a major major challenge in the insurance insurance industry um you know especially in the southeast asian nations if you if you look at india for example insurance is seen as a tax saving tool so rather than a tool to cover any sort of a perceived risk so it that that's in a, in a way reduces the trust on you know how we actually see insurance um as something that may help us when an individual is in need or a crisis so perception and trust is some of the major issues which is non technical it's hampering the industry you know uh, at at the current scenario and i just hope technology will somehow uh tackle and you know be better uh beneficial for the millennials um you know steve to start with the question and you mentioned about the regulatory part can we better promote innovation in insurance so we have been discussing this all this while in uh some you know here and there so if we see from the compliance side regulators should adopt a more liberal attitude towards the rise of insurtech in fact regulators should consider how to create the proper environment to foster innovation so what's your views on this pressing global challenge i know there are sudden developments which are happening globally uh, but there are of course rooms to improve yeah i think it's um it's critical that regulators support innovation um <coughs> excuse me there are there are still too many jurisdictions where the regulator maybe maybe my perception is false but they seem to consider that their remit is number 1 to protect the customer at all costs and and that often means if they don't have the capability or the knowledge to understand a new product or a new solution then it must automatically be classed as dangerous and therefore not introduced number 2 they um <clears throat> again how do i say this politely they they perceive that one of their roles is to protect the incumbents in the existing industry there's more than one jurisdiction where the um employees of a regulator uh essentially perceive a revolving door between their office and the senior management roles at the insurance sector uh, companies so do your time at the regulator keep your nose clean look after your friends and then when you finish your position your friends will look after you and you'll get a seat on the board so there's still quite a bit of that going on in different places um to this day uh so that those things are really not helpful and i think um it's important that regulators look to how they can up their game to 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 open the doors a little bit wider and i'm not saying they have to be um uh they must always maintain their defense of the customer that has to be the 
the ultimate remit of the regulator to make sure that the customer doesn't get ripped off one way or another. So no doubt about that. But at the same time, technology is moving extremely quickly. There's new ideas, there's new ways of doing things. And I think there are several standout examples of how regulators can improve things. I'm, I'm very fortunate here in Singapore uh, uh, the, we, we work closely with the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow the trumpet a little bit, but they're not perfect either. They've still got significant room for improvement. However, they're head and shoulders above many other regulators in the way that they look forward and they, they want to encourage innovation, uh, not only in the insurance space, but right across the fintech space as a whole. Um, and then there's several other regulators around the region who are um, following the same sort of path. I think uh, you know, Thailand, Indonesia, Hong Kong, um, and, and there's, there's several others I could, I could talk about as well, which are on that same path. But then there are, there are a number of laggards as well, and they know who they are. I don't need to, I don't need to name them. And I think it does a disservice to the, uh, their population. That the mandate of the regulator is to protect that population, but uh, if you're restricting the options that are available and, and not allowing those guys to to see new things that come into the marketplace, then well, you know, as I as I said previously, there's a huge insurance gap to cover. I think the existing insurance industry structures have shown they're incapable of covering those gaps. Um, I don't think it's the right approach for the regulator to to sort of stall too long on technology solutions that could cover those gaps because you know there's no doubt that appropriate insurance in in the right place is a wonderful good. I mean and it's probably it's probably one of the most ethical and moral products of the financial services industry. I mean quite frankly most of the products of the financial services industry are pretty toxic. Um, and if you if you're an individual or a business uh, and you have those products, if you if you're suffering some financial difficulties or whatever, then those products will probably drive you bust. But insurance is the one thing when you're in difficulties from a fire or whatever it is, it can probably save your life or your business. So so there are there are real benefits to having uh, more penetration of insurance and more flexibility insurance. Whilst, of course, recognizing that there has to be there has to be guide rails around the outside of this that the regular has to hold on to those, um, and I think that getting that balance right is uh, I, I don't want to be too critical of regulators because goodness me, it's an extremely difficult balance to to get right, and it's not going to get any easier. Absolutely, you know, the the industry itself is transforming, and the regulators must transform themselves as well. So, you know, the question remains, would a collaborative approach between stakeholders and respective regulators, you know, bring some light to the solution where, you know, in short tech startups, perhaps, or even incumbents, consumer protection groups, etc., can come together to share knowledge and the technological know-how to actually understand uh, where each other, uh, the, their problems, the industry stands. I think that can be one of the ways to move ahead. I, I do understand, you know, there are several authorities 
uh, like you know in Cayman Islands, Bermuda, in the UK, uh, they are trying to you know bring in some sort of an innovation by understanding and collaborating with stakeholders in the insurance industry, but it's not enough what's being done globally. So that's that's a fantastic uh, you know points that you have mentioned out there, and thank you, Steve, for this lovely discussion. And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. It was truly a delight to have you as our guest. No problem, sir. It's been uh, it's been great fun. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I look forward to, to to having the chat in the future on on this or other topics. Absolutely, absolutely. And lastly, to wrap this up, thank you for listening, and see you at our next episode. Take care and stay safe. Goodbye for now. Thanks. Bye bye.